My name is Rob Katz. I'm the CEO of Val Resorts, and I want to welcome you to Epic by Nature. Around the world, across all of our resorts, we have employees who are experiencing their own epic journeys. Employees who are the heroes of their own stories, who constantly challenge themselves to give more, to do more, to be more. We developed this podcast so that we can share their journeys and the journeys of our guests, our mountains, and our communities, all of which are truly epic by nature. We have to be ambitious and we have to be accountable to one another as a team. We're together in this as a community, as a mountain, as a resort network, and it just makes me feel part of something bigger. I want to win, but more than that, way more than that. I want my team to win. We have always been very innovative and I think that is why we are leaders. I found that there was a much greater value in we than in me. Snow is magical. Why is that? When you think about it, it's just water. But it's not a liquid. It's not ice. It's not steam. It's something different. A highly creative substance. Yes, it's cold and slippery, but it's also moldable. You can form shapes with it, like snowballs, snowmen, or snow angels. And you can slide on it, like you do when you go sleigh riding or when you ski or snowboard. You can glide down a mountain on snow, but also use the snow to speed up, slow down, and turn. It's full of contradictions. It's calming, gazing out at falling snow as it transforms the landscape into a winter wonderland. It's exhilarating, that first run early in the morning gliding down a mountain with fresh snow. It's powerful. Just think about the impact feet of snow can have. It is to be feared, conquered, admired, and respected. But most of all, enjoyed. It has its own language. It drifts. It falls. It blankets. It is powder. It is flurries. It is blizzards. It is flakes. Snow is a gift from Mother Nature. But what if we could make it ourselves, especially at the beginning of winter, to help improve the experience on our mountains? We thought it would be interesting to talk to our folks that actually make snow. These sorcerers whose job is to create magic. How do they do it? Why do they do it? And what's it like filling in for Mother Nature? Devin Edwards is a snowmaking manager at Keystone. He started in the job when he was just 18 years old. Graduated high school and came up here Ran into a few buddies that mentioned I should work here at Keystone and I should get a job in snowmaking because it was the best job they've ever had. And being outdoors on a snowmobile in the middle of the night just really played to where I would want to be. And right away, he knew this was the job for him. My first night snowmaking came into the mountain operations building and jumped on a snowmobile on the back and got a quick rundown of how it all worked and went straight up to the top of the mountain and 
It was a good two feet snow day for the first time ever making snow. And that's really kind of what set it off for me was just a gorgeous setting outside, you know, nobody else around. And it was just a blast. For Devin, seeing the snow guns come to life for the first time each season is hugely rewarding. Turning the guns on for the first time is a huge sigh of the relief. We work all summer to get that stuff ready to, to go. This summer was a big summer for us, but it just seeing those guns come on the first time, even if it's testing, putting water through those guns and seeing them all sprayed is huge, huge accomplishment for us. And this year at Keystone, that has happened earlier than ever, in mid-October. Keystone made a significant investment in snowmaking this winter, allowing the resort to be one of the first to open in North America. What was once seemingly impossible is now possible. This early opening, it hasn't happened in 20 years. Providing people with something to ski on that early, it gets people in the swing of things. Like maybe they were biking in Moab one day and then they're over at Keystone skiing the next day. And it really kind of sets the mood to be able to say, you know, this is going to be a good season this year. Giving mother nature a helping hand is no simple task. And planning to open a resort in October is a bold goal that requires significant investment. To make that goal a reality at Keystone, the resort purchased new low energy snow guns and built approximately 11,000 feet of air and water pipe on the mountain. It's 63 automated guns on Schoolmarm that really gets us to be able to utilize the temperature windows in October. These guns have a weather station on each gun to tell you precise weather, wet bulb, wind speed, all that stuff to tell you that they're ready to make snow. It really maximizes production. That helps us open earlier, put better quality down, and get a wider surface for skiing. Attempts by humans to improve weather conditions for skiing date back to the 1930s when skiers first used shaved ice to supplement snow for ski jumping competitions. What followed was a period of scientific advancement throughout the 1940s from Canadian, British, and U.S. scientists who were experimenting with de-icing equipment on airplanes. They needed to produce different weather conditions to test the effectiveness of de-icing methods. Various nozzles were developed in an effort to generate freezing rain, fog, sleet, and snow. Despite all these advancements, it wasn't until 1950 when three men, Art Hunt, Dave Ritchie, and Wayne Pierce, designed and patented a commercial snow cannon to produce snow for mountains. And thanks to their breakthrough, humans were now able to manufacture snow for skiing. One of the very first areas to adopt and test one of these machines was Split Rock Lodge, now called Big Boulder. Big Boulder is one of the 17 ski areas we recently acquired from Peak Resorts. Leading the team of snowmakers at Peak is Brendan Ryan. Brendan's passion for snow was evident throughout his childhood. Anytime it snowed, I was outside, playing in the snow, building snow things. Uh, At one point, my neighbors came over and spoke to my parents. They thought that they were being negligent because I was outside in the cold so much. And they're like, he just wants to be outside in the snow. 
Uh, so that kind of started the, the love of, of snow and water. We were building luges. Uh, we were doing all sorts of things. Later, when Brendan was in college, his family had a sneak peek into his future career choice. I think kind of the highlight transitioning my snow obsession as a kid to my profession was uh, after my freshman year of engineering school and I decided to give my mom a white Christmas uh, in the in the backyard of our house as her Christmas present so that was like the first time I built my own machine to to make snow you know I had to talk teach myself how to solder pipe and uh, it came out somewhat awfully but we made some white sloppy kind of a mess it was barely cold enough to make it and I totally trashed my dad's pressure washer but my mom was so happy it was totally worth it one of the most exciting aspects of the peak resorts purchase was access to their investment and expertise in snowmaking, which is world-class. And snowmaking is particularly critical to many of their resorts because of the greater weather fluctuations for mountains in the Midwest and Northeast, including dealing with rain. Snowmaking has changed the game for access and being able to, at least in the east, book a trip there. And unless it's actively raining, there's going to be trails that ski great at Mount Snow because we'll make snow on them again. And Mount Snow has just under a thousand different types of, of snow guns. And depending on where we are in our opening and you know what time of year it is, we will, in the course of a weekend, resurface about 300 acres of terrain and you wouldn't even know that it's rained. While resorts in the West often use snowmaking just for earlier in the season, many others use snowmaking year-round to repair and rebuild the snow surface for guests. Without this, most people could not consistently access their local ski mountain and remain active in the sport. You know, with the peak portfolio and its proximity to major metro, it's really easy to get up there and know that we're gonna be consistently open and it's gonna be a good product. And that's all because of snowmaking. So do we ever root for rain? Absolutely not. Do our conditions relative to our competition after a rain event really shine? Definitely. Ray Kennedy is a manager of snowmaking at Okemo and also deals with the conditions Brendan describes. We do not rely on snow. Uh, we go into this business knowing we have to make snow. It's so unpredictable in Vermont that we can go from, you know, one day it's 45, 50 degrees and raining. Tomorrow morning, it will be 10 below. So it doesn't take much of an imagination to know what that turns into. So we're resurfacing everything. I mean, that's our livelihood. But it's not just about blowing snow all over the place. It's an art to get just the right coverage, and it requires looking at every aspect of the process. We've got a pretty good idea what it takes to keep Okemo open till April between Grumman, uh, surface manager, and myself. I've got a pretty good eye. I can see what's going on with the trails, so we'll balance that out. Ray, who has been making snow in Okemo since the early 1990s, couldn't imagine doing anything else. It's an adventure every night. Every aspect changes night to night. You get the cold nights where the moon shines, you're making snow, it's perfect. You get the nights where you're in a, a moderate temperature range and it's damp and wet and you're trying to make things work, you know, trying to make the wind work. But there's always the aspect of looking off from the mountain and, and just, I cannot say enough about, you see things that nobody else is gonna see. It's just, it's dark, you're up on a mountain, the sky's actually lighting you up. You see the stars, the moon, 
obviously on a wind, windy, stormy night, you're not seeing that. But even that's got its own beauty. I mean, it's nothing like being out there making snow in a snowstorm. I mean, it's just pretty, pretty special. For some people, it's a calling. I don't know who I am if I'm not around snow. Ellen Galbraith is the director of mountain operations at Beaver Creek. Ellen was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. I remember jumping off the deck into just bottomless piles of snow. I remember Nordic skiing under the lights in Anchorage. We played outside in the winter a lot. I'd go to Hilltop right near my house when I was a kid to ski. I mean, it'd be 10 degrees or zero degrees out. And I just, I was just so happy when I was on the snow. It takes a special kind of person with a certain level of grit and determination to work through the night in extreme conditions, essentially pushing compressed air and cold water through high pressure hoses with limited visibility. I think the hardest parts are when um, when we have leaks in our system in the middle. So we have to shut everything down, drain our system, excavate, find the leak. It's cold, it's muddy, it's wet. Those are the toughest days, and we're working as hard as we can to get things put back together so we can fire up as soon as possible. They love it, and they're tough. Just a ton of respect for our crews that that are really passionate about, about this place and keeping it running. So what does it take to be a snowmaker? You know, a lot of our snowmakers want to come out to Colorado for this season, And snowmaking sounds interesting. They're attracted to the physical nature of the job and being hands-on in the production of the mountain. And man, we'll train you. And train them we do. Snowmakers have to learn not just how to make snow, but how to navigate the mountain. Everything from snowmobiles and safety. It's so much more than just learning how to turn the guns on. I've been making snow for just coming up on nine years and uh, I'd say maybe halfway there. Uh, it's never-ending training. The basics of operating these guns, it's not that hard. You can go out pretty easily and figure out uh, how to turn a gun and do the basics. When you start getting into troubleshooting, especially with electrical and you're, you're dealing with different voltages and then you get into automation and on the control side, I think the best snowmaker is one who has spent time uh, on the control side, which is the one who's overseeing, you know, the the plant, the pumps and compressors, and the different pressures and how pressure changes with elevation. The snowmaker who understands kind of the whole system is obviously going to make a better product because they understand that by turning this gun on when that system's tapped, they know what's going to happen. So that training takes a long time. For Ray, it's a responsibility he takes very seriously. Safety is our biggest concern. This is an inherited risk job. There's a lot of high pressures. The water's under high pressure. The air's under high pressure. So there can be a lot of things happen. Uh, So getting that training down so people are safe. I really stress, and actually on the best practice group, we're going through the hose procedures right now. I think I've done a pretty good job with that. I actually had a snowmaker tell me two years ago, hey, Ray, you got people scared to death of the hoses. And I considered I was being successful when I did that because I do not want anybody to go home hurt. So how does the science of snowmaking work? Pretty much making snow is throwing air and water mixture into the air, and that mixture starts to freeze as it's thrown into the air. The water starts to evaporate as it falls, and that water-air mixture forms a crystal or a ball that is in turn the snow. Sounds straightforward enough, 
In reality, it is a little more complex than that, and a multitude of things need to come together at the right time to make the magic happen. First, to be clear, creating snow cannot be achieved in all weather conditions. We can't eliminate the role of Mother Nature altogether. We absolutely need cold weather and cold water to make snow. Greg Johnson is the Vice President of Mountain Operations at Vail Mountain and is responsible for overseeing everything from snowmaking and grooming to lift operations, lift maintenance, fleet maintenance, and ski patrol. In the fall, it is challenging. That's the time of the year when we see the biggest temperature swings here. Like one day in Vail, it can be 70 degrees and everybody's riding their bike in shorts down the road right outside here. And then two days later, it can be 10 or 15 degrees overnight. A cold front will move in. So you have to be ready for that. And so that's the time of the year where if you start missing temperature windows, it's incredibly impactful. You have to be ready when the temperatures hit and you have to make snow in those windows because invariably what happens is, is after that storm, you'll get a couple days of cold temperatures and then it's gonna warm up again and it's gonna go back to that bike riding weather. Things like temperatures make a huge difference. When you make snow, the colder it gets, that lets you flow a lot more water through every gun. And ultimately more water means more snow. And if you put too much water in the gun, it'll rain. So you can't turn them up too much. And then, not only does it have to be cold, but there has to be just the right amount of humidity in the air. Both temperature and humidity must be low enough for snowmaking. And this is where the all-important wet bulb temperature comes into play. If you ask someone how you make snow, you're going to get 10 different answers, and they're all going to be mostly right, with the scientist in the back going, eh, sort of that. So... Wet bulb temperatures are a combination of ambient temperatures and, and humidity. And so a good example people give is if you can see your breath, you can make snow if the moisture um, is freezing. And so, um, yes, in Colorado, we're fortunate. We get a lot of really cold, clear, dry days. And that means that it may be cold outside, but we can we can really get after it from a production standpoint. And when it's more humid and we do have humidity, we lose a little bit of that ideal snowmaking temperatures. But when I'm looking at a weather report in the morning, I'm, I'm doing the math in my head of, okay, what's the temperature? What's the relative humidity? Our job is to look ahead to what we think is coming and, and be set up and be prepared and then just make the most of it. So once you have the right weather conditions, it's time to kick into action. And the first step is moving water up the mountain to the guns, which in and of itself is complex. A, there's getting the air and the water there. So what type of a system do you have? Are you pulling water from your resource at the bottom of the hill and simply sending it up in a vertical manner? Or do you have um, an interconnected system where it's got to go up over here before it can travel down to go over there? And based on where we're trying to get snow, that means you can or cannot make snow in other places. I think I spend a lot of my time trying to educate our other teams to understand, well, just because we're doing something over here doesn't mean we can also do it over there at the same time. Once the water reaches the guns, they take over. In essence, there are two types of snow guns, fan and stick. Fan guns use propeller fans to throw the snow to provide hang time in the air for freezing. Stick guns are tower mounted with extra height that allows particles to drop and freeze before they hit the ground. 
Ray describes the process. So it's mainly hanging that particle in the atmosphere to freeze. Uh, it's no different than snow becoming snow. It's falling through the atmosphere. The temperature is freezing that crystal and more particles adhere to that. The colder it gets, the bigger the crystal goes. But as Brendan explains, the challenging part of snowmaking is the short distance the particles have to travel. Natural snowfall, about 10,000 feet. You know, we're trying to replicate that process in 30 feet. You know, we were doing some trajectory modeling with a fan gun, right? You're using that fan and you're improving the distance traveled of that particle so you can cool it over that distance longer before it hits. And then the actual size of the particle itself matters. There's a careful balance. With a fan gun, you can actually use smaller nozzles because you have the fan that's pushing that particle away from the gun. If you have a larger particle size, it has more you know, mass, more momentum to travel and actually get away from the gun if it's not using big compressed air to accelerate it. As the temperatures decrease, you can increase the nozzle size, right? Bigger droplets that require more energy to cool. When you look at the equation of a sphere, right? That's basically how we're modeling it. When you change the radius, you know, it's R cubed. So when you double the size of a particle, you're actually increasing that volume by a factor of eight, which is really fundamental in how critical uh, particle size is to snowmaking. And as with all science and technology, there is always more to learn, more to experiment with, the next big breakthrough on the horizon. We started studying, you know, this past spring, how does the actual droplet size impact what actually converts on the ground? So the smaller the particle size, the faster it cools, but you're also more subject to wind and some other factors. You know, we started looking at volume mean diameter across different technologies and how that might allow us to make more snow in different temperatures. More snow. And it's all in service to our guest experience. At Vail Mountain this summer, we have built nearly 200 acres of new and enhanced snowmaking terrain. It's the largest single capital project that we've had at Vail since 1986. It's all about providing a reliable opening before Thanksgiving. We've installed a lot of vaults for fan guns, and it'll be 100% fan gun snowmaking, fully automatic, so we can take advantage of the temperatures, and the guns will adapt themselves to a change in temperature. It won't be like a manual system where you're waiting for the snowmaker to come back to turn the gun up, even though it's been cold for three hours already, and those guns are just flatlining. At Thanksgiving, our guests are reasonable. They don't expect the entire mountain to be open like it was last year on Thanksgiving weekend, but they really want some skiing. They want to know that they can come here and have some product and come on that weekend and have a great family vacation. And the investment at Vail Mountain will be at the top of the mountain, almost 2,000 feet higher than our current early season terrain, which means colder and drier temperatures, a much better snowmaking environment. And we aren't just opening earlier with more terrain. Snow can literally be used to change the shape of the mountain. And to achieve that, there is a close partnership between snowmaking and grooming. So our snowmakers go out and they make as much snow as they can. And then our snowcat operators come in and really shape the terrain. And it's not just for skiing and riding. We can change what we do on the mountain as well. We make race courses and terrain parks and snow for tubing. 
So at Vail, we also have tubing in the winter up at Adventure Ridge. It's at the top of Gondola 19. And without snowmaking, we can't get that product open. It's just snow on grade on the steep pitch. Tubing here is fast and it's sporty. It's really fun for kids of all ages, including ourselves. Um, it's a great product, but you have to get people off the pitch onto the flats and then get them stopped because they're going really fast at the bottom of the pitch. So we, we build roughly a 40 foot high pile of snow there, the backstop to get them to go way uphill to come to a stop and then get back. And without snowmaking, that product would not exist up there. You would never be able to get a tube stopped off of that hill without a 40 foot high pile of snow. In reality, we are only constrained by time and resources. And our teams on the mountain are constantly weighing up these decisions. We make snow on our tubing, as well as, you know, the half pipe takes a tremendous amount of snow, you know, both tubing and the half pipe, as well as some of our really large uh, jumps that we have in Corinthia, they take planning, you know, three or four weeks out, depending on when you're going to allocate that water there versus somewhere else. And, you know, we're always talking about that. Okay, well, we could have the half pipe here, or we could have these two trails. Uh, it's about 13 acre feet to make snow on our half pipe. It's a lot of water. And at Keystone, like Vale, it's not just about opening a month early. With snowmaking providing the snow for the terrain parks and the snow fort, we're really bringing the guests a different sort of experience when they come to the mountain rather than just skiing and snowboarding. It's truly, you know, a niche kind of area for either kids at the snow fort to play or, you know, the freestyle riders and skiers to be able to enjoy a, an area where they have, you know, really premium products. Snowmaking is clearly an essential and core component of our business. But to make snow, we need water and electricity. And I often get asked if we are a big consumer of water. It turns out, not really. It's actually a beneficial use of water. Water use these days is pretty controversial. And there's a big issue with how water is used from the Continental Divide all the way to Mexico on the Colorado River. Um, we're in a very lucky place because we're fundamentally a non-consumptive use of water. Water that comes from the Western Slope and goes through a trans-divide diversion to the Front Range is 100% consumptive water. Snowmaking water is actually the opposite of that. 80 to 85% of the water goes back into the same basin that it came from, and it's viewed to be a benefit to local stream health because fundamentally, we're a simple storage system. It's a very non-impactful storage system. Rather than building big reservoirs that inundate land, wetlands, forest, we're storing water in a very fundamental way on the mountain, and then it can be used beneficially as it melts off naturally in the summer for stream health. And the summer is when water is needed in the local rivers and streams. That's when the river is active and growing and all the plants and trees and everything else in the valley needs water. In the winter, everything's dormant. For a snowmaker, watching the water melt back into the basin each spring can be a little bittersweet. You know, every day in the spring, I drive up the road to come to work and I watch the mountain melt and I watch all that snow go back into the rivers. And it's a little sad because we worked so hard to borrow that water and store it on the mountain all winter. Um, we worked so hard in the fall to, 
to pull everything together and provide this experience for our guests and our employees. And then every spring it melts away. Unlike water, we clearly are a consumer of electricity to make snow. But technology has advanced enough where we can minimize that energy consumption. We are now in a position where we can make more snow and use less energy doing it. Keystone's always been the forefront of the automation and we want to keep it that way. So as much 30-year-old technology, high-energy technology that we can kind of get rid of and bring in more low-energy technology is great. The automation helped us work towards that sustainability goal. These guns are so much more efficient. They come on and off whenever there's temperature windows. They adjust themselves to be making the best product possible. These new guns compared to the old guns are like night and day. For one of those old guns, we can run 40 to 60 of these new guns. And snow gun efficiency is continuing to improve. And it's likely that in just a few years, we'll be able to further reduce our energy use while still protecting our ability to deliver outstanding terrain. Nothing can replace the splendor of natural snow falling from the sky and how it feels to ski or ride on fresh snow. But snowmaking has its place. It fills in the gaps left by Mother Nature and helps provide a much better guest experience throughout the season and in all types of conditions. And with ever-changing weather more of the norm, snowmaking will remain critical to our industry, especially for those resorts near major urban centers. We just need to make sure we continue to give the folks who make snow new technology, higher efficiency equipment, and new tools for them to do their craft. So when you're up on the hill this season and see a snow gun, think David Copperfield, because snowmakers are magicians, and making snow is quite a trick, and we all get to benefit from it. I want to thank Devin, Brendan, Ray, Ellen, and Greg for the incredible, impactful work they do and for taking the time to share their stories at this busy time of year for them. I also want to thank all of our snowmakers who are hard at work right now, creating an experience of a lifetime for all of us. As always, please send your feedback to podcast at valeresorts.com. And thanks for listening.